0: Father, it's so good to be here. We just want to stop and thank you one more time for all the good things that you are doing in this week. There's so many of us, and we're in such different places, and yet you know what each of us needs. And you know what we each need to hear today. There's things that you want to speak, and I pray that you would honor the time of every single person by giving them something to take away that's from you. God, we know it's not clever speeches and presentations, it's what you are wanting to say to us that we really need to grab hold of, that we really need to understand, that we really need to take with us. And so I pray, Father, that you would speak. As we go through this material, that God, you would invigorate us or reinvigorate us about this very difficult issue of how to be intimate spiritually with our spouses. For we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, if you take a look at your, if you take a look at your page, uh, you notice, do you love this little subtitle? How to get your spiritual act together. Yeah. Together. Yeah, so a lot of us go to churches and they say, you need to get close to Jesus. But what we're going to talk about today isn't just about you getting close to Jesus. It's about you getting close to Jesus together. And that's, that's the idea. Um, intimacy, my working definition is full disclosure. Full transparency, a place of safety and acceptance with God at the center. Everybody wants to talk about intimacy. I do a lot of seminars on intimacy physical intimacy, sexual intimacy, marital intimacy. But it's really hard sometimes to be fully transparent spiritually. Am I talking to anybody? Fully, like, do you accept me spiritually? Can I take my facade off and be raw and real with you about what's making me crazy? Or about how I'm disappointed in you, or disappointed in God, or disappointed in us, or disillusioned, or in trouble, or struggling, or, you know what? I don't feel like you've ever accepted me, spiritually, I feel like, I talk to guys all the time, they feel like spiritual neophytes because their wives are all like into Bible study, and they're all like, and, and, and the guy's going, yeah, give me a beer and a barbecue, and, and I just feel like I'm the guy that isn't spiritual enough, and my wife is telling me, you know, she's like like pushing me or whatever, and, and there's a spiritual inequality? Am I making sense? That could be the other way around, too. I get it, but... How can we, and I'm going to set you up. Is that okay? Yes. Can I set you up? Yeah, Yeah. I'm not just going to like pump you full of solutions until we understand the problem. Let's, let's talk about why this is and what's really going on. Are you feeling safe spiritually with your spouse? Are you able to say, this is what's really going on? This is where I'm struggling. This is where I need prayer. This is where I need help. Would you lay hands on me? If you were on a ministry team, you'd be very happy to lay hands on people at your church. What about at home? Where are we hiding You know, you understand that spiritual intimacy and physical intimacy, there's a connection, right? If I'm not feeling safe with you, for whatever reason, you want me to do what? (laughs) Guess again. I'm not feeling safe. I feel like there's something blocking us. You know those fights we have? That's created a wall. That's created a barrier. I can pray with people at church all the time, all day long, but praying with you, you know my weaknesses. You know what happened last night, how that didn't go very well. And it's just hard. When I share with you when I talk to other people, I share with them, they just go, wow, oh, that's great, yeah, ooh, that's insightful. But mm-hmm. When I share with you, it's like, oh, really? Here we go. And we just are not getting a good connection. Am I making sense to anybody? Yeah. We've all been there. If, you haven't, if you've been married longer than three weeks, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So we are going to press in and say, God, I know it's late in the week, But maybe God has been setting you up for this. In fact, I couldn't help but think about this as I was listening to this morning's sermon. That this is what God is moving us for. You want to learn how to love each other? I promise you, one of the hardest places for you to love one another is going to be right here. Am I right? Now, there's all kinds of intimacy, Like I said, people want to talk about intimacy. I I think it's really, really important for us to understand that what I call the five life categories, which I've listed here, that if any one of those areas has a problem, how many know that it's going to affect what? All of them. If somebody comes in here with a really, really disab- uh, with a really, really severe disability, physical disability, that's going to affect all the other areas. Am I right? If you come in here with a, a, a mental, we have a, a whole ministry at our church for hope for those that are struggling with mental illness. How many know that that affects everything? There's, physical intimacy is about us getting close together. It's about God's desire in marriage as we relate it to marriage. It's God loves physical intimacy. God designed physical intimacy. I always like to say that to people that, you know, to the Hollywood types that think Hollywood designed sex. Yeah. (laughs) Like, who do you think wired you up? The guy that you think can't get, get on with sex, yeah, he's the guy that made you the, sexual. And God's way okay with that. But it wasn't just that. Emotional intimacy. This is about supporting one another. Do you feel supported? Do you feel cared for, accepted, loved, appreciated, mental? I'm not just talking about mental illness. I'm talking about are you on the same page with your spouse? Like your worldview, like how you how do you look at parenting? How do you look at what needs to happen in relationship to those in-laws? What do we want? What is our goal? What do we want to reach for? And social. Everybody, I mean, most of you that are here together are sitting close to each or sitting together. Is that fair? If your spouse isn't here, yay. I mean, enjoy life. But the rest of you, but the rest of you don't have a choice. You have to actually sit together. Like, it's going to be weird if one of you is here and the other is over there, if you're in the same room. Yes? Because there's a social obligation as well, and we are social creatures, creatures made, made for made for community. And then there's this thing about being spiritual. Being spiritual is not like being like the Pharisees, like being holy. How many know there's no pop quiz when we get to heaven? That's not how Jesus is going to meet us at the pearly gates. It's going to be not do, what do you know about me? It's do you know me? If God, if you walk up to the pearly gates and God goes, "Uh, have we met? That's not a good sign. (laughs) Some of you will get my humor later. But anyway, yeah, I mean, it's just not going to be that way. God is either going to come up and say, hi, welcome, well done, enter in. Or it's not going to be good. So let's talk about some of the spiritual blockers. I will not probably tell you anything new today, but I might come at it from a different angle than you've heard before. And hopefully, I'm depending on the Holy Spirit to give every single one of us something here. Um, These are some of the ones I run into. I do a lot of coaching of marriages, and these are just some of the. of the things that I run into all the time. Uh, Past sins and shame. Um, I'm working working right now with a couple that are trying to, to get through or negotiate through or recover from adultery. How many of you, that's not easy. Okay, the rest of you, yeah. So anyway, if you want to get an idea, just a quick understanding of how devastating adultery is, and some of us in here have faced this, it's the, one of the analogies that I think is just very visual and gets right to the heart of it very quickly is it's like lobbing a grenade into, the, into a room. That'll give, give you a pretty quick understanding of the devastation of adultery. Everybody's limbs are blown off, everybody's running for cover, it's duck, it's run, it's devastation, the whole place has come down, everything's around my ankles. How are we ever going to recover from this? (coughs) There's sin, there's the sin issues, the forgiveness issues, there's the hurt, the pain. We're, we're working now, I think we're into, um, it's almost eight months. How many know that, that if you are in a situation where there's been a huge betrayal, how many know you don't just come up and say, you know what, I'm really sorry. Let's move on. How many know that? Okay. That's not how it works. The, the wife in this situation is having flashbacks for what happened and what, the devastation that her husband brought upon her and the family, and she is still having flashbacks eight months later. Yeah. We're talking about devastation. There's sin. There's shame. He is so ashamed. He doesn't even, half the time he doesn't even want to move forward because there's such shame around it. Yes. There's all kinds of past hurts going on. There's all kinds of past hurts, and it continues. How many know that you have to get back to the past hurts to understand what's fueling, what's fueling the issues? You got some stuff in your past. I promise you, it is fueling things. It's not just there. It's actually fueling. What, what are some of the things that I'm ashamed of some things I've done. Yeah, okay, I hear the preacher talking about forgiveness. And, and and and. But what are some of those things, and how are they affecting me now? How are they fueling a downward spiral? I promise you, if we have time, we can go back and find those. There's hurts. How many know opposing values get in the way? If... The value of one spouse is comfort or pleasure or financial security. And the value of the other spouse is different than that. What are we doing? We're moving in different directions. How, how many know when you start out and everything is wonderful and yay, yay, yay? Yeah, the <laughs> wedding. <laughs> <laughs> that it looks like you're just like, Okay, we're a little bit off, but, you know, just a little bit. How many know that when you run that out for 40 years? You end up at really, really different places. Are you doing the splits in your marriage? Where are you doing the splits in your marriage? Where are we not on the same page? Where is what you want opposing what I feel I need or what God is wanting to do in me or in our family? There's just so many stories. Um, Unmet expectations. How many know that that's a killer? Thank you, Hollywood. Hollywood. We all came into our marriage, and we all came into our marriage with a set of expectations. And if you did not do that or can't admit that, you're a liar and you go straight to hell. (laughs) You had expectations. Did we? Yes. We knew how it was supposed to go. Just ask us. We knew what you were supposed to do and what I was supposed to do and we had this idea, whether it was godly or not, we had some ideas. And how many know that when expectations are unmet, like I said, after three weeks of marriage, when when expectations are unmet, guess what happens? We feel it's unjust, unfair, it's frustrated, we're angry, Now, somebody is in trouble. There's a sense that we're going to have that it's wrong, not just different, but it's wrong that you feel that way. You ever felt that? And we have this Hollywood notion, and they lived but. I promise you, unless you were asleep for 25 years, that's what you were being bombarded with. Whatever that meant in your situation, whatever that was needed to look like for you, this is what needed to happen. And it's a blocker. And it pulls us apart. How many know our society is not helping us? Is is the society running up to you guys and saying, how can we help you stay married? No. Through temptation and distraction, the enemy is trying to pull us apart. And if we don't know that, we're losing. If we're not geared up for that, if we don't understand that we are in a battle, we are losing the battle, I promise. And I'm just not feeling, I'm feeling not safe. I'm feeling unsafe. By the way, that is the biggest struggle in marital intimacy right now I don't feel safe I don't feel loved so it's 10 o'clock at night guy comes in and says okay let's do this and she goes whoa back off Jack that's the first nice thing you've said to me all day Somebody's not feeling safe. Somebody is not feeling loved. And I promise you that that's a blocker. And that's going to get in the way of us trying to get on the same page in any way, shape, or form, and particularly spiritually. Because we know instinctively that God, that's not God's way. That our marriage was designed by God to be a covenant. We stood before God, family, and friends at the altar, whether we realized it or not, and we laid it all down. And we started a covenant. And it wasn't for a day, a month, for a, or a year. It was for the rest of our lives that we would have the kind of intimacy that God brought us into. And he brought us into an intimacy that just wasn't between the two of us. It was an intimacy that involved him. And we're not feeling it. We are not feeling safe, and I certainly don't feel loved. When you do that, or when you say that, so what are some of the consequences? Here's some of the consequences we're f- facing in our marriage. And if you haven't faced these consequences, you haven't. You're. I'm, I'm, I would humbly suggest that we need to think deeper, because these are going to be there. And it's not like they're not going to be there. So since they're there, let's talk about them. The first is loneliness. How many know that uh, when you're the only person on the island, you're lonely? How many know that it's even worse if you're in the middle of a crowded city and you're on the island? You know what I mean? I thought that when we got together, we were just going to be like this all the time, and everything was going to be wonderful, and I, I had my best friend, and it was just going to be tight, tight, tight. And I'm finding myself in the marriage, I'm finding myself, I'm actually lonely. I don't feel like, I don't feel like you're with me. It's worse because you're there, but you're not there. Yes? Yes? I'm feeling distance. I'm feeling aloof. There's weariness, weariness. There's distrust. There's negativity and cynicalness. My wife and I did it. Anybody uh, read the book, um, uh, The Kindness Challenge, 30 Day Challenge? Oh, it's a great book. Um, yeah, if you want a really practical way that kind of brings things out or exposes things that need to be exposed in your marriage, yeah, just go for the 30-day challenge. It's the kindness challenge. And uh, one of the the things that they brought up in the book was sarcasm. And um, my wife and I just thought, you know, we first started looking at the book and we thought, there's no sarcasm in our marriage. (laughs) And then we started to hear it. Once the issue was raised, we started to see, yeah, there actually is a lot of sarcasm. Like, oh. Like, and we started to see sarcasm. I promise you, that's why somebody came into this room today is because God wants to put his finger on something like that. God wants to say, there's, there's something going on there. What is fueling that? Sarcasm, of course, is using humor, and there's a little barb in sarcasm. Everybody knows? Yeah. How many, everybody, does everybody in the whole room, have, do you all have the book Love and Respect on your bookshelf? Oh, my goodness. Race, walk, I mean, don't walk, run to the bookstore and get the book Love and Respect. Nine times out of ten, when I talk to couples, it's he doesn't feel respected and she doesn't feel loved. She, she needs, she speaks pink. She hears pink, you know, the whole thing, right? And he is the same with blue. He hears blue, speaks blue, sees blue. And we got, you know, Russian and Chinese going and passing like ships in the night. And we are not talking to each other. And this, this marriage is not doing well. And because if, if she's at Starbucks and she meets her girlfriend, how does the conversation go? Oh, it's so good to see you. Oh my goodness. Oh, how have you been? Oh, yesterday it was so amazing. The, this thing happened and, and and God was with me. Oh, but I was such an idiot. Oh, when I, my boss came in the other day and there were, I missed this deadline thing and he just, oh it was so and on and on it goes. <coughs> Two guys meet at Starbucks? <laughs> Hey, how's it going? (laughs) You gonna barbecue this? Yeah. The 49ers? Yeah. Hey, good to see you, man. Done. (laughs) (laughs) Love and respect, baby. This is how. So if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna, if I'm talking to guys, I could pick any guy in the room. I could say, hey, you got your pickup? Hey, could you go around the building, that back building over there, grab some chairs and bring them around to the front, set them up? Good, good, done. That's how guys talk to each other. The wife talks to the guy? The wife talks to her husband? Way different. Hey, honey, could you go take your pickup? Uh, there's gas in there, right? Yeah, so could you? I know you always forget to, yeah. Could you drive it around there? Now, it's that, that second street, and you got to go down. you got to go behind the building, and it's that third door. Not, not uh, you'll probably mess this up too, but anyway, the, that third door, when you come in, there's a, like a set of uh, switches. It's a third switch, and don't bring the blue ones, bring the red ones. Love and respect. She's not feeling loved because she's not getting talked to like her girlfriend at Starbucks. And he's not feeling respected. He felt like he was just being treated like a three-year-old. And the wife is leaning into that, that chair thing. She's leaning in because she cares. That's her way of expressing love. But that's not what's being translated to him. That's not the message he's receiving at all. He's receiving just the opposite message. That he's incapable. He's like doesn't have a brain. I mean, and you want to be and you want to be like spiritually intimate. I don't think so. Am I making sense? I've been setting you up. Here's what I would like to suggest. I'm going to give you some some things. To, to hopefully get this thing kick-started so that you guys all have something practical to take away from you, uh, take away from here. But what it starts with is forgiveness. We have to come to the place where we release that stuff that we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes. We've got to forgive. How many know that uh, forgiveness is not just a Bible word? It's more than that. It's actually a tool. Do you see the picture up there? Spring-loaded dog clip. If you've walked your dog, you've clipped onto the collar, you've unclipped from the collar. Yes? We have to have a way to unhook. We have to weigh, have a way to unhook. Uh, T, uh, T. Brandon, can I use you? Yeah. yeah. So, Brandon, you don't even have to get up out of your chair. Do you remember that thing you did to me last week, last Wednesday? You know what the problem is now, Brandon? Brandon? Every time I think of you, guess what I think about? (laughs) Last Wednesday. Why? Because that thing, that offense, that betrayal, whatever went down last Wednesday, now has tied us together in an unholy, unhealthy way. Think ball and chain. Relate this to your marriage, please. And now we've got this thing. How can I be intimate with my spouse? How can I do anything? Because now I've got this unholy, unhealthy, ball and chain thing between us. What do I need? Well, I need a way to get out of this. And God provided a way. Jesus Christ goes to the cross, the once-for-all sacrifice, and he says, I'm going to take care of the sin problem once and for all. Any sin, all sin, every sin. All sin in the past, all sin in the present. There's 7 billion people on the planet sinning today. And all sin in the future. I'm going to take care of it all. I'm not going to do this every weekend. Good Friday? Yeah, it wasn't a good Friday for him. Yeah, okay, good. Everybody get that. He says I'm going to do this once. Christ has come to set us free. free. So here's what happens. I get my, I get that. When I do crap, when I do crud, when I have a blockage between me and God, I get it. I come and ask for forgiveness and I try to get that all clear and clean so I can have a restored relationship with God. Yes? yes. But it turns out that forgiveness is even better than I thought. Somebody's going to walk out of this room today and go, forgiveness is amazing. It's even better than we thought. Why? Because not only did God do that so I could get clean and clear with God, he did that so we could get clean and clear with each other. This is going to change your marriage if you can grab hold of this. This will change your life. God says, here's here's the deal. I am going, I have provided forgiveness All kinds of forgiveness, all the forgiveness anybody in the world is ever needed or ever going to need, I have provided at the cross of Jesus Christ so that you, when somebody offends you or betrays you, if you are willing to send them to the cross of Jesus Christ, just like you send your own sin and your own stuff to the cross of Jesus Christ, you get to unhook. And so I can unhook now and I am free. Free. That isn't the only thing we have to do as spouses, but I promise you that is the first thing we have to do as spouses. If you don't do that, forget anything else. Am I making sense? I've got to have a release mechanism. You have offended me. You've hurt me. There's shame. There's pain. I feel disrespected. I don't feel loved. I don't feel safe. The first thing that everybody in the whole room gets to do is... Unhook. How do you unhook? By sending that person, that issue, that betrayal, that offense to the cross of Jesus Christ, just like you did your own stuff. You send it to the cross of Jesus Christ and you get to be free. People say, oh, Pastor Paul, it doesn't work. It sounds good on paper, but it doesn't work. <laughs> okay. And they give me an example. I did what you said. It was Saturday. I forgave the jerk. I woke up Sunday morning, I was mad as hops. See, didn't take. What might you say to that person? Well, you might say something like this. It's a little bit like somebody driving from San Francisco to L.A., getting in their car, driving, and somewhere along the way, getting out of the car, turning off the engine, and saying, see, didn't work. What might you say to them? Well, you might say, well, it's working, but you're not done yet. Somebody's theology is about to change right now. Do you know that we have this misconception that you have to get saved, many of us, we, we struggle with eternal security, so we've got to keep getting saved. But we only have to forgive once. You only have to get saved once. But you're going to have to forgive a million times. That's why Jesus gave you all the forgiveness you're ever going to need. You say, uh... Bible verse for this? Yeah, Bible verse for this. If you want Bible verses, we can do Bible verses. So the disciples come to Jesus, and they say, how many times shall we forgive? One, two, three, four, five. By the time he gets to seven, Jesus goes, seven, shmeven. Try 70 times seven. And he wasn't trying to teach them math. To infinity. Every time you think about that betrayal between the two of you, you release some of, you guys are in a, some of you guys in this room aren't that bright, but some of you guys are really smart, and you think really fast. Guess what? You're going to be busy. Because as often as you think about that betrayal, you have to release it again. Got quiet. OK, am I making any sense? I'm going to have to release it like a crazy man, like a machine. I'm going to have to release it like crazy because I'm thinking about it like crazy. Remember the adultery? Remember the arms and the limbs and this whole house is blown up and everything's down around our ankles? I'm standing here and I can't think of anything else but what happened. So guess what I'm going to be doing? With every breath, with every nanosecond, I'm going to be having to release Yes? yes? Why? Because I'm such a goody-goody, holy-holy? No. Because I want to be free. free. Why is that guy always smiling? Because he's the smartest guy in the room? No. He may be smiling because he is free. Okay. I'm going to give you several things, about five things to, that i want to encourage you to do and take away with you. Once you ask for forgiveness before God and releasing one another, God wants to give you some things that you can do to build spiritual intimacy. The first thing is to share your testimony. When is the last time you sat and laid on the pillow and snuggled or went for a walk and had this romantic experience? When was the last time that you told each other your spiritual journey? Your testimony? Like how you came to Christ? Like, how this is going. When is the last time that you guys talked about how God brought you together? I'm not looking for a show of hands. (laughs) Every once in a while, my wife and I, it's not everybody, but every once in a while we get to tell our story. I just got to tell my story sort of kind of just now to you guys. How God brought us together. Whenever you tell your story, I promise you, God is in that. Because God brought you together. Some of you guys are wondering, yeah, that's what I thought too, but I'm not so sure anymore. That's fair. (laughs) How many know that you can get into a house a number of different ways? You can walk through the front door. That'd be good. You can walk through the back door. You can crawl in a window. How many know that you can come down the chimney? <laughs> it's been done. <laughs> What's the point? The point is, however, you got into the house, guess where you are? In the house. You're in the house. It, did you make some mistakes along the way? It almost doesn't matter. You're in the house. You're in the covenant of marriage. And some of you came in through the front door. It was like gorgeous, like don't change a thing. And some of the rest of us came through other ways. But we're in the house. You're in the covenant. That just set somebody free right there. It's not a mistake. You're in the covenant. That's off the table. It's not about uncovenanting It's not about undoing. It's about we are here and we want God to be where we are in the middle of our covenant. Share your spiritual journey. When's the last time you talked to each other about your spiritual desires, dreams? Have you sat down with your spouse in the last month and said, this is what I would love for our spiritual intimacy to look like. If you have, good on you. If you haven't, <clears throat> let's do that before, the, before your head hits the pillow. What would you like it to look like? What would you like your parenting to look like? Won't the ministry God has? What is the way that we can bless each other? What are your spiritual hopes and dreams for each other? Do you have them for each other? God, give me a vision for how I can bless my spouse. Do you know that we're going to stand before God and we're not going to be, we're not going to be adjudicated on basis of somebody else? Everybody thinks they're going to be adjudicated on the basis of Billy Graham and Mother Teresa. You see any humor in that? You are not going to be adjudicated by God based on how your life compares to Billy Graham and Mother Teresa. You're going to be adjudicated by God based on what he's given you. It's called the parable of the talents. He's given you this marriage, this person, this situation, and what did you do with it? How many know we're responsible for that? And then the second thing is to identify the intimacy blockers. These things don't just happen. There's there's something that was fueling this. I'm talking to couples all the time and I'm saying, so when did you first notice that? That sense of mm, we're not don't seem to be on the same page anymore. Was there a precipitating event? Is there something? What what was where was I spiritually when we started to what was going on in our family when let's go back and look at where those were those things derailed. I promise you, if you will go back there with the help of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, he will drop little identifiers into your spirit. And you'll go, you know, it was when we took that job, my uh, um, my own sister is divorced by a guy who, by a man who was a pastor. He wasn't only a pastor; he was a counselor. He was a marriage counselor. <laughs> <laughs> they came to a place where they realized that actually, what precipitated it was when they started going after pleasurable. Things, the vacation, the new house, the extra cars—they started going after. That wasn't. The, it, that wasn't everything, but that was where they went back and said, "That's where, that's where we sensed we we're going off." When we come, when we come to this, there is going to be things that we need to embrace. How can we embrace what God has for us? How can we remove those things that are distracting? I had a conversation just yesterday with a person that wants to change careers, and guess what's driving it? Guess how we got to where we are? We're very successful and we're climbing corporate ladders, but guess what's pushing it? There was poverty in the past and we never want to do that again. And now that person is saying, but this isn't who I am. And I'm dying inside. Yeah, I'm achieving, but I'm dying. What are the things that we need to remove or embrace? Setting new goals, as you, you can read the list, I don't need to read it for you. But there are some things that we need to do. My wife and I get together uh, for my, my birthday is in January, and that happens to be handy because it's the first, of the first of the calendar year, and we go off and we set goals, financial goals, spiritual goals, family goals. Do you have a time where you're setting goals? Do you have a, do you have a, a time where you are saying, this is what I want to do in this area of worship or fellowship or service? What are some of the goals that God is, is, is wanting you to set? Um, I mentioned this yesterday. I have two more life journals. I'm sorry. Uh, people were buying them yesterday. But one of the goals that I set my, for myself It's the best thing I ever did for myself. And I promise I've been a Christian longer than 19 years. But 19 years ago, Wayne Cadero at a church in Hawaii developed something for his congregation that has now gone nationwide, and it's called life journaling. And I mentioned this yesterday and I'll mention it again. This is the best thing I ever did for myself, for my spiritual health and well-being. A life journal is very simple. The concept is I just need an easy way to spend some time in the Word of God and in prayer. Could somebody please help me? Yes, it's a good idea, but I don't know where to do it, how to begin, and I don't, I can't like, and 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 I need I just need something easy. I just need something to do. And I started doing this, and it's not a diary. It's not like, oh God, this is how I'm feeling. It's not like that. It's the opposite, it's a download. And what you do is you, you go to the Word of God, there's a reading plan, all these, all, anything like this has a, has a plan. It's a reading plan, I don't even think of it as a reading plan, I think of it as a restaurant menu. When you go into the restaurant, do you eat everything on the menu? Somebody say no. So what you do is you say, oh, there's, today, Look what's on the menu. There's all these scriptures I could read. Please don't read them all. You'll get spiritual indigestion. So what you do is you just pick one. And you start to pray. Why do Christians pray? Well, they pray because they think God's answer is prayer or they wouldn't do it. Yes? So you pray and you say, God, would you have something jump out at me? And you start reading. And you're down three verses or 13 verses or 30 verses. It doesn't matter. And you're reading and something jumps out at you like, ooh, that's amazing. Ooh, that's convicting. Oh, that's really encouraging. Oh, that's a great reminder. For whatever reason, it jumps out at you, you're done. You're done. And then you just write it down. And they use the acronym SOAP Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. Don't think brownie points. God likes me better because I read my Bible today. Oh, my goodness. The coach, the, I, every couple that comes from my office, we, go, we do a session on this. And we're trying to, because we need to get the spiritual energy up. If you are trying to do this by just going to church once a week, oh, my goodness. If that was real food, if that was physical food, you'd be dead. People come to my office all the time. Oh, my spiritual life doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Oh, I just don't feel like God's in my life. And they're dragging all this stuff. And they aren't. I don't say this because I'm a nice guy. But I feel like saying sometimes, well, of course. When's the last time you ate? Like it's not that hard. Can I suggest... Uh, there's, uh, I can give you the uh, www.lifejournal.cc. That'll that'll take you. There's two up here. Uh, they cost me about eight bucks. If if you leave me eight bucks, grab one. Uh, first come, first serve. Uh, we just need something to help us to to grow and. Get closer to God. More on that in a minute. We also need to embrace new beliefs. Okay, you ready? You got a place to write that's kind of like close to that? I'm going to give you this for free. Here's why beliefs matter. What are beliefs? My working definition is beliefs are the underlying convictions that motivate everything we say, think, or do. Let me say it again. Beliefs, what are they? Beliefs are the underlying convictions that motivate everything you say, think and do. And you have beliefs. I promise. In fact, there's nobody that's ever said anything or done anything or gone anywhere that it wasn't if you did, that wasn't motivated by a belief. Why? Because beliefs inform my values. I call it the pathway of beliefs. Just write this down, just like next to each other. Beliefs, they're the bedrock. And they inform my values. My values, I don't believe in this, I don't value the things I don't believe in, right? Okay. So my beliefs inform my values. My values inform my commitments. I don't commit to the things I don't value. Are we, are we good so far? My beliefs inform my values. My values inform my commitments. You will not actually do anything that you don't consider valuable. Keep going? My, va- my commitments inform how I think and feel. What I think about. I don't think about the stuff I'm not committed to. Am I making sense? I think, and I just put think and feel because some of us are thinkers and some of us are feelers, but whatever. It's, it's, I think about what I'm committed to. And that informs my behavior or my actions. So it turns out that my actions weren't just a, a random, like, I can't understand, that has nothing to do with anything. No, they actually did. My actions were based on how I was thinking, based on my commitments, based on what I valued, based on my beliefs. That's why beliefs are so important. And some of you today, that's why God brought you here, is because there are some beliefs. Don't you love this picture on the left? <laughs> hug it, baby, hug a tree. Okay. Uh, That's what we need to do to some beliefs. We need to embrace some new beliefs about our marriage, about God, about forgiveness, about parenting. Uh, What are the beliefs that we need to embrace? How many know that if you don't have a belief system that will sustain it, you can never make a change? There'll be no change. If I believe, truly believe, that if I put my key in in my ignition today, my car would blow up with me in it. Guess what I'm never going to (laughs) do? If I don't believe that it's possible to lose 25 pounds, guess what I'm never going to do? Why do it? There's no reason to do it. I have to have a belief system that supports the changes I'm trying to make in my life. Can I suggest that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now about your marriage? Do you have the belief system in your marriages? Do I have the belief system that will support the changes that God is wanting me to make? And then there's beliefs to discard. How many know that we have some beliefs that are motivating us that we probably need to get rid of? I really don't believe that we're ever going to make it. That's one for the trash can. If you believe, you know what? I I don't really, when I really get honest with you guys, I really don't believe that God always has my best interest in mind. If I'm just really honest. If that's what I'm saying, guess what? Does that make sense? If that's what I truly believe, that God doesn't, I know God might, if I'm sitting there like one of you, sitting there going, yeah, I know God has my best interests in mind sometimes. I mean, He's done some good stuff, but not all the time. You know that thing that happened that our family went through, that life devastating circumstance, that, that thing? You, no, no. That's a belief I'm going to have to discard. What is the basis of our beliefs? How we feel? No. The basis of our beliefs as believers is how they align with what God says about himself. So if my belief is not in alignment with God's what God says, God's plan, God's will, God's way. If my belief is not aligning with that, I'm out of alignment. I'm missing the mark. The Bible calls that sin. Does that make sense? I've got to get my beliefs in line. And then I need to develop some new habits. I mentioned this yesterday. Uh, how do you make a bad habit? Yeah. Yeah. do it over and over again. That's how you make a bad habit. How do you make a good habit? Oh. If I can make a bad habit, and I know I can because I have, that means I can also make a... I can make a good habit. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but do you have a date night? (laughs) You should stand up here and look at your faces. Yeah. Do you (laughs) have... Do you have a date night? Like, do you have a night that you can, like, look forward to? Like, this is our night we carve out? What about family devotions? Do you have a, you know, a time, like, maybe not every night, but two or three times a week where you sit down as a family, if you've got kids, and you talk about, you know, memorize verses, talk about what's going on in your life. What's you know, the highs and lows of the day. When's the last time you were in a small group? Are you all in a small group? If you're not in a small group, you're losing. God has made us for community. I promise you, with the greatest preaching in the world up here, this is not where it's all going to change. What's going to change is when you take that back to your small group and say, you know, this is what God's put his finger on. Would you support me? Would you pray for me? Would you hold me accountable? That's where you make the changes how's your church attendance? Is everything else getting in the way? Are you guys serving? One couple I met, they, they were just at each other, and guess what changed? What changed is when they started stopped making it about themselves. And they started saying, yeah, we're going to have to work on our relationship, but what can we do for someone else? Love one another. Yeah, what can we do for something else? Somebody else. And that's actually what saved their marriage. You go, no, yes. That's what saved their marriage, is when they got outside of themselves and started helping those that were in need. What new habits is God dropping into your spirit right now? Write it down. My challenge is before you leave campus or before you leave Mount Hermon that you have something that you guys can talk about. Would this be good for us? There's not a person in the room that can't improve in this area. Am I right? Don't look around the room like who's the holiest? No, no, no. God, what about me? What about us? The person that wins at this game is not the holiest person in the room. The person that will win at this game is the person that can simply develop a new habit. What are the benefits? The benefits of this are that we truly become one. Now, everybody wants to become one. Everybody wants to become intimate. And we all, we can go to all the self-help groups, whatever, and we can try to be- work this way. But it's going to, I promise you, here's what's going to happen to most people. It's going to be a tug of war. If you were spiritual, you would be like me. You would think like me. You would act like me. You would do what I want to do. And the other person's going, oh, Yeah. Yes, again if you were spiritual you would think like I do and now we've got a tug of war and we're asking God to change our spouse and make him more like us and God I can almost hear God going hey guys I'm up here it's not you trying to be more like your spouse to get on the same page with your spouse. And somebody, uh, you don't have to say amen out loud, but I hear you. Yeah, it's like, oh, thank Jesus. It's not about being more like your spouse. It's about being conformed to his image and letting him be the plumb line and everybody goes to him. Otherwise, you got a tug of war and may the best man win. But what if we went to not her way, his way, but God's way? And everybody is spending their time trying to make sure that they're staying aligned with his way. Now the two can become one, not by this, but by this. Am I making sense? What's the difference? The difference is you are now one with God right in the middle. How many, I'll leave you with this. How many know that a, a love triangle is bad? <laughs> Please tell me you know that. <laughs> like somebody in the middle of your marriage, that's a, like a bad thing. Not good, not helpful. How many know that the original love triangle was good. You see, this is all counterfeit stuff that we're experiencing in our culture. But the original love triangle was designed by God. And he says, here's, what, here's how it's going to work. It's only going to really work the way it's intended or designed to be worked if everybody comes towards me. You've all heard this, right? Right? This is not brand new. As you move towards God, guess what? You move towards each other. And God is at the center. Now that's spiritual intimacy in marriage. Can I pray for you? Father, I just thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you, Father, that you love us, that you know us, that you care about us, and you care about our marriages. And God, every single one of us can move closer to you and can find something that you are putting your finger on in our relationship that would allow us to have a better picture of who you are and how you want us to be, and how you want us to serve one another. And I pray, God, that they would be great out of this group of people. There'd be a huge movement forward in spiritual intimacy with our spouses. For we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.